0: Before starting this segment per se, like we wanted to ask you, the decision for us to call you on this show or your decision to be on this show seems to be completely based on, it's completely on your will to be on this podcast or it's completely on on our will to invite you to this show. So we wanted to ask you like, does every human interaction is somehow based on some underlying cultural or social or some complex interaction? It's called uh, predeterminism or like there is some concept such as a free will on which people can act. And an extension to this part, what are your views on how people usually respond to free will and what are the concepts on free will right now?
1: I could end the discussion by saying there is no free will, but I'm more fond of you and you, I, I respect your intelligence far more than that. So let me give an answer. Let's understand first what determinism is. In order to understand free will, we have to understand determinism. At this very moment, there are about maybe 1 lakh different impacts affecting your life, your body, your family, the decisions that you made, how many minutes you brushed your teeth in the morning, the way you combed your hair, why you wore the gray t-shirt, everything. Okay, And you may think that it's because um, I made the decision. It's actually not that what happens is it was what what was presented to you you had a choice of four or five different things to choose from and you picked that if there's only two things to pick from you pick one the best for the occasion determinism essentially saying you'll make a choice and people say no no I'm I'm earning good money and everything And I'll say who is the finance minister of India who's the pri- prime minister of India what's the GDP based on all these things what did your father do for a living? And you may say, my father was a contractor. Okay, did he do well? Say, no, no, he did very well. He has, we have ten buildings around the city. At that point, I can say that. Okay, so you have uh, AirPods at home? Yeah, I have AirPods. You have Air iPhone at home? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. I selected it myself. I said, did you select it? Or when your father built his second building, was it selected then? They say, no, my father built his second building in 1967. I was born 20 years later. How could I select it? I said, because he built that second building, you were able to buy that. We often think that, okay, what about a sociopath, psychopath, a person with depression? How much control do they have over the choices, over the things that they do every single day? Normally, if you brush your teeth for about two hours, two minutes and 45 seconds, not two hours one day you get up and say it's getting really boring i'll reduce it a little bit i'll go faster two minutes and 20 seconds in one year you're sitting in the dentist's office what happened did you free will did you select to go to the dentist or determinism you decide you just got bored of brushing your teeth okay and genetically in terms of dna your family the jaw structure there is less calcium Tendency towards demineralization in the teeth and because of that most males in your family end up seeing a dentist by the age of 27-29. So how much free will is there in this? I went and saw a dentist. No, we have to go back generations. I'm not saying there's no free will. We all have free will based on certain parameters. Today if I want to play basketball, I'm almost 6 feet tall, okay? You say, sir, you're six feet tall, you can play basketball. I'll say, yeah, but I'm also old. I'm 53 years old. Getting up from this chair is going to take me some time. Throwing a ball into the hoop is going to be very difficult for me. You know, I'll be sitting in this chair for many days after that. Your decisions will be determined on the parameters of genetics, social, financial, familial, every possible parameter you can think of. The love that you got as a child, the uh the amount of money your parents earned the type of schools that you attended there's so many parameters that either confine or restrict you in terms of what decisions you make that is what determinism and free will is okay i'll i'll make an offer to all of you if you want to experience something close to free will okay become aware of the restrictions that are in your life okay this is what free will and determinism is determinism is there are more things at play in your life genetics financial almost two three hundred years of financial success or failure within your family okay two to three hundred years of mental and physical health almost every human being there's a spectrum of mental health let's say on this side it's illness mental illness if I go extreme, this side, you'll see schizophrenia, suicides, things like that. If I go to the extreme, to this side, positive feelings, good relationships, um, openness to relationships, not very neurotic. You all have heard of neuroticism, being a neurotic person. You know what that means? It means you feel guilty even if you haven't done anything. Okay? Somebody looks at you the wrong way, you immediately think you've done something wrong that's neuroticism psychoticism is the extreme of neuroticism okay so this is the positive parts of mental health is on this side of the spectrum what determines where you are on that spectrum it's not the yoga they had you do in school when you're young depends on your father and mothers your grandparents your great-grandparents and goes on back and forth okay nutrition when you are growing up everything
0: so just to summarize, like, there is yes. a little wiggle, spare, wiggle space for us to do what we want to do. But there is a predetermined way where, on which we have to work. Yes. So on, whether we walk on the left side of the road or the right side of the road, we have to ultimately walk on that road. Is it what you're...
1: Yes. Uh, you you know this, uh, uh, in Ramayana, story of Vishwamitra, okay? He was, a, he was a king. He was a king in those days. The caste system was very rigid. Uh, in India. It's a mythological story. Vishwamitra was a king. He got insulted by a Brahma a very great saint, holy man by the name of uh, Vasishta, who was the guru of Lord Rama. Okay? So Vishwamitra, he goes, he wants that Vasishta's cow, gets insulted. He said, okay, I'll also and he gets defeated by Vasishta without even a war. All his weapons don't do anything. Vasishta just stands there, you know, with his hands prostrate and Vishwamitra is trying Brahmastra, all his nuclear material, nothing happens to this old man. So he decides, I'll become a Brahmarishi. What he's saying is, when he says, I'll become a Brahmarishi, I will transcend the rules of biology, physics, chemistry, earthly rules, universal rules, that which limit us, birth, death, all this, I'm going to transcend it. And I'm going to become a Brahmarishi. Uh, I'll be a living sort of God. Okay. And he does it. So that story is about, Vishwamitra is about, he had that 1%, right? You have 99% which you can't change. It is what you've been given in your life, the cards that you've been given. The 1%, if you use it correctly, you can transcend the limits of the universe. That is the message of every story, every mythological story in every country. Don't underestimate that 1%. Don't go to a psychiatrist and psychologist who says, No, 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 your father had a problem. You also have a problem. Yeah, you can't do anything. I'll give you this medication. You take it. No, that 1% can overcome the 99%. Understand the power in that 1%. Okay.
2: So let's talk about what some people imagine when they listen to the word addiction. Plants have evolved to develop neurotoxins as a defense mechanism, and we humans have evolved to counter exploit those drugs. Drugs can start as an easy way to escape your sorrows, experience a high, but they can quickly make your life worse. Why is it that some people can drink socially or use drugs for a recreational purpose and it doesn't affect their lives, while it is different for the other cases?
1: My favorite topic actually, addiction is one of my favorite topics. My favorite people are alcoholics and drug addicts, actually. I love them very much. Not because I just love them, because nobody else loves them also. It's a very simple reason. What is addiction? It's because it's the limbic system of the brain, the pleasure center of the brain. Let us say that you had a very severe headache, OK? And I put a small uh, tablet on the table. I mean, not just migraine. It feels like I put a bullet in the head. You're in pain. I put a small tablet, OK? shine. EtoShine, EtoRococcipes, something like that. And I say, take it and you take it and you feel great. You know, hero to hero, you're, you're, you feel great. You're not, your headache is not just gone. You feel you can fly, you feel wonderful. You're at peace. What is the chance the next time you get a headache and I give you a strip of 10 tablets like that. One is missing. What is the chance? One to 100 that you are not going to take it, because I'll tell you one thing, okay, I say, don't take it again. It's not polite to take these things. You know, people don't respect people who take these tablets. So try to bear the pain. When we talk about addiction, we always talk about the substance. We talk about alcohol, cocaine, marijuana, heroin, coffee, benzodiazepines. We don't talk about what caused, why we're taking those things. So now, the next three, four days later, you're feeling good. Suddenly, that same headache comes. What are you going to do? We will take another tablet. You don't take sure. another tablet. You're going to pop another tablet. You may pop. Suppose if one tablet doesn't work, you'll take two. So what I'm saying is that now what happens is that in society, if what you're taking, this taking of these tablets is a taboo, you'll hide it. You'll keep it in your pocket. You know, you'll cough when you're taking it. <laughs> you'll put your mouth, drink something else. Because why are you taking the tablet? Is it because you like the taste of the tablet? What's the reason you're taking the tablet?
0: The ultimate outcome. We are, we are fond of the outcome rather than the... What's the outcome here? Relieving of the, getting relieved of the headache.
1: You don't want pain, right? If you ask any addict why they took any substance the first time, they will not tell you, I like the taste of whiskey. Or I like the smell of the cigarette. I had a gentleman who was an IS officer okay whenever he used to come to me he used to uh drink you know once a week whatever it is we developed a system in which he could drink every day a certain amount he'll keep the bottles in his bedroom at home he'll keep the two quarter bottles in his the commode in the tank he used to open it used to keep it a, every alcohol does that every alcoholic okay uh, so he had certain ways well, the first time i met him i said told his wife, ma'am, just clear out the bottles in his tank. So what tank? He said, the tank on his commode, he has a separate room. He said, why would he keep it there? I said, it's the, it's the favorite place of alcohol, because nobody will look there. My point was this, now we've got a system in place where he has a little bit every day. And it's the secret, his family knows he's having it. Goes into the room, he drinks, he sleeps. Everything is controlled. He may die earlier. We don't know, but we can't stop the addiction. When you talk to people, the difference between calling them an addict and a non-addict is this, okay? The intensity of the disease, the aggressiveness of disease. If you're talking about a lymphoma, or you're talking about cancer or diabetes. Why is it that if I take two diabetics, one of them, he started with the, you know, we had type 1 diabetes. He started with the insulin when he was 10 years old. He didn't eat sugar and sweets and all that, but he had to take uh, insulin at the age of 10. Another guy is 70 years old and he takes some Metformin diabetic medication, oral medication, once a day or twice a day at the age of seven. Why? It's not because one is a better person, right? It's because of the aggressiveness of the illness. It's the same thing with addiction. Addiction is not a psychiatric problem, let's understand that. Addiction, when it continues, there is an erosion, a wiping away of morals. The man who loves his daughter and son he suddenly he can't find 200 rupees to go to the wine shop so he'll go to his daughters when the daughter is not home 10 year old daughter he'll go into a piggy bank he'll break it and take out 200 rupees because he just wants that warm water in his mouth this is a disease you are treating a disease if you go to any hospital in the world and there's an alcoholic in the bed and doctors are on the doctor, senior doctor will say to the junior, hey, he's an alcoholic, yeah, his liver, enzymes are this. We treat him as if he committed murder and then he raped three people. It's not a crime. He has a bio, psycho, social, familial, financial disease. It spreads to every part of his life. If the same person was, was found to have cancer, you'd say, poor man, he has cancer. But if he has alcoholism or drug abuse, we say, look at him. Look at how he's behaving. We do that even in the mental and psychiatric hospitals. We have not yet to this day found an effective way of treating addiction. If you go to rehabs, they put the guy in the center of the room, they all yell at him. They'll trip him and make him sit in the center room. This could be a guy with a PhD in engineering. He's a 50 year old man. They tease him, they taunt him. These are the people who are running the rehabilitation center. We must get a more awakened, uh, enlightened understanding of addiction. These are people who are suffering. I've heard many people who are suffering from addiction who say to me, my friends, my enemies, I don't mind if they get heart attacks, if they die. But one thing I don't want them to have is an addiction. It is the worst thing they can possibly have. Because what is right and wrong is lost. Up and down is lost. Right and left is lost.
2: So, how do you think pop culture and uh, movies regarding drugs, they influence the present generation?
1: I think they're making it okay to have an addiction there. It's called making something romanticized. You know, Arjun Reddy. What is it, Ka- Kabir Singh? What are these movies where a uh, young guy, uh, Arjun is a doctor and he's drinking, shooting up, using intravenous drugs. Everybody thinks but he's a hero because he loves that girl. No, he's, he's an addict. If not an addict, he has a dependence, a dangerous dependence on drugs. So pop culture, it's not just now. This started when my Guru Pandit Ravishankar was in US in the 1960s. Everybody in the audience, there'll be one lakh people, they're all smoking uh, weed. So he used to say Ravi Shankar used to say ladies and gentlemen if you don't mind would you refrain or stop from getting high while i am playing this raga this concert as a tabla player when i was playing with the grateful dead and floor concerts the first rock concert i ever played it was in a stadium and i came on stage it was so huge they said don't inhale prashant i didn't understand don't inhale pranayama what is this I said, you see that white cloud in the middle of the open air stadium? See the white cloud? I said, yeah, it's a cloud. It's it's a, a mist from condensation. Said, That's all weed smoke. Don't inhale. Even on stage, if you inhale too hard, you'll get high. You know, I, it was a very scary phenomenon. But the point is, we've made it a part of our culture. You know why we've made it a part of our culture? We have no other choice. But we have no other choice. How many kids that go to BTEC, that, that are doing engineering, how many of them smoke weed? Not how many of them smoke weed. How many of them don't smoke weed? Right? If you have a class of 100 kids, how many of you don't smoke weed? Few girls will raise their hand. The guys, all they all do it. Cigarettes, weed, whatever. It's become a part of our culture. These are dangerous drugs. And it scares me, because in other countries, at least it's still illegal. Here, marijuana, cannabis, okay, it's grown in farms, whatever, it's part of the, so revenue, whatever, people, they don't touch it because it's fed to bulls and other animals of uh, oxen and everything that ever pull the uh, plows, it's fed to them, so they don't sweat as much, they don't feel the strain. So anybody, you go and visit the farm, you're smoking up, you're getting high. It's really dangerous. I'll tell you very simply why. When you have alcohol, you have marijuana, cocaine, of course, is at a higher level, heroin, this part of your brain, the prefrontal lobe, doesn't communicate with the rest of the brain. So what you think normally when you're sober, what you think is right and wrong, what happens when you are a little high? Suddenly you call up somebody and say, I love you, I've always loved you. Next day morning you get up and say, what did I do? Okay, your friends say, why, man, we we encourage you. You have a little bit of alcohol, you pick a fight with somebody who's going to beat you up. The part of your brain which tells you, don't do this, it shuts down. It doesn't shut down. It doesn't communicate with the rest of your brain, Okay, So if you're going to do it, and I know many of you will do it, but many of us will do it, I'm saying, alcohol, everything. Caffeine also is a drug. Be aware of it.
3: Sir, I have a question on effect of culture and upbringing on psychology. I think you can answer this better as you practice in both India and US. In West, the society is individualistic. After the age of 18 or so, people are expected to live on their own. Whereas we, in India tend to have a collectivistic culture and parents take responsibility of their kids for a much longer time. Do you think this western kind of culture prepares you better for the adversities of life early on or does it cause more stress how do you see the effects of these different cultures on psychology
1: okay uh, thank you for the question There's two aspects one is that um, we keep talking about this prefrontal lobe right from a physiological anatomical perspective do you know this part of the brain doesn't grow completely until the age of 25 uh, what to do right and what to do wrong. So at 18 you no, know, it's really not developed. Many aspects of the brain are not developed and we're kicking the child out to college or jobs. So go support yourself, do what you want. That's why the incidence of bad relationships, divorce, uh, multiple pregnancies, abortions, once you have, you're not intending to make those mistakes. I mean in the US now. Uh, I like the US very much, It's my. it was my, uh, if you ask me which is my country, I would say India, but I loved the US, I was there for 42 years, so, you know, but what I'm saying is that the prevalence of mental illness is far greater in the US. The reason is because of lack of family support. The other side, if you look at India, maybe too much family support, but not the right kind of family support. Hey, what are you doing? I saw you with a girl. Are you doing doing this? Are you studying in the right stream? Are you doing this? When will you write your USMLE? When will you go to US? The pressure that's also there. In the US, there's really no pressure. You do what you want. date, smoke, rent a flat somewhere, go to college where you want. It's up to you. If you're going to college, parents will pay. But in India, you do what you want. But as long as we are also in line with that. Okay. So, there's a certain pressure to not reveal yourself. What if there is a sexual orientation difference? What if you are bisexual? What if you are uh, gay? What if you are lesbian? How do you reveal this to your parents? Much of your time is spent in hiding things. You know, you have a separate folder on your phone for, for the pornography, you know, everything else. Your, your life is a secret. Things which are normally seen as healthy in other countries, we consider taboo or secret here that's only in the last three four hundred years before that we were quite enlightened about all these things so when people say for example that uh, there are more divorces in india than in us that's not true there are just things that people say the reason there are more divorces in the u.s is this it's very simple this the u.s lifespan is considered 75 years 68 to 75 years they believe be happy in your 65 to 75 years don't be stuck with the partner who is uh I'm not agreeing with this or disagreeing. Don't be stuck in a marriage or a job or anything where you are miserable. Explore your life. You have one life. Here, what do we say? No, no, next life I'll come back and I'll marry this person or that. So there's some parts where we enable people here to continue in misery.
3: Shouldn't coming out of the closet and accepting one's sexual orientation be easier? With all the stigma there is, isn't the society depriving them of having a happy
2: life?
1: Just 20-30 years ago, we gave voting rights to certain people. reservation was put in place. In other countries, based on the color of your skin, uh, you are allowed to walk on the same side of the street as a white man. It's a process. It's a process. And coming out of the closet or, you know, um, being able to be proud about your sexual orientation, it's a process. The funny thing is that all these other things were not there thousand years back. You know, black man wanting to vote with the white man, Dalit wanting to vote with the cast. But this has been there, that multicolored flag with gay, trans, everything. It's been there for thousands of years. But now we're shocked. Because it, we don't have any technology to understand it. And the people, even young people, what I'm finding many of my patients who are very open about it, very liberal, very, you know, they in secret, they don't like it. I do have patients who are going through uh, the transitioning from male to female or female to male. Uh, they're like my children. I saw them when they were when they first came and when they were going through the difficulties and. I had to get them the right doctors to go to the surgeries and now they have reached a certain destination. Uh, we will get there. We will get there. The reason is this, the only thing that has been a very secretive thing for thousands of years. It's not religion. It's not politics. It's human sexuality. We put a taboo on it. It's the most basic thing. Okay. Being without clothes is a taboo. What you do under the covers is a taboo. What you think of when you're under the covers is a taboo. Who you think of is a taboo. So we have to get rid of these taboos and we have to grow. And that's why those who are on, let's say, the other side of the road, who might be gay, lesbian, bisexual, whatever it is, transsexual, queer, however they may uh, identify themselves, um, they're fighting hard. They're fighting, you know, uh, the correct pronoun to address them, they're shouting louder. So that we grow up with our, our minds open, but it is I know the trauma that they suffer. It's because it's a part of them; they didn't choose it. It is the way they are born, and we are we are we are negating. We are saying that the way you are, the way you are as you are born, that itself is wrong. But there is treatment for them, We can make you like us, and uh, so we're getting there. We're getting there slowly
3: sir i would like to know your opinion on religion in psychology in the current age we achieved and understood so much with science and technology however we also know we are not the masters of nature and it is made very clear by this pandemic so in this context of scientific world what do you think is the role of religion in human psychology how to rationally deal with religious beliefs
1: i like the question i'll rephrase it let's take the word religion out okay How do you rationally deal with insanity and insane beliefs? You can't. Religion is doctrine. Spirituality is a different thing. Even spirituality these days is becoming religious. Religion is what you call a spiritual bypass. It's like you get a bypass, right? Corlears are not forming, you have to put a stent in, you form a bypass. Same thing, religion is a bypass. You've done something wrong or someone has hurt you, so now you are seeking your answers in religion, but which answers are you seeking? Answers, it's called Confirmation Bias, okay? Answers which will strengthen what you already believed. okay? That person of that religion hurt me and in my religion tells me that uh, that person is a bad person. My belief is getting strengthened. We only worship, we only believe things which just strengthen what we were taught by our parents, and our grandparents. Look, I'll be very honest, I'll say it this way. Everyone is an atheist. Everyone is an atheist. Do you believe in the Greek God Zeus or Athena or, or 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 whatever? You don't believe in them, right? Yeah. At a certain point, much of the world believed in them. You may like Lord Krishna, okay? You may like Rama. You may like, you know, Mia. Uh, you might like whatever it is, Christ. You have your specific thing, everything outside of that the other thirty three billion gods, you don't believe in them. you only have that one particular thing which is again based on your projection of what you think a divine thing is like. so the whole thing is this that when you if you're going to believe something completely, make sure you explore it completely. But if there is fear i I don't disagree with his beliefs. My point is. Question things, but if when you question things, you feel fear, question why are you feeling fear? So the person says, no, 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 you shouldn't say that. Otherwise you lose your eyes. Are you praying to God? Or are you praying to a local gunda? No, talk out your eyes, if you say something bad about him. Question your belief system. Belief systems have to evolve with the person's experiences. I think, uh, I think, uh you know, once if you, you I think you. They say that you you can be made an atheist. You're born an atheist. Uh, it's very difficult to make an atheist from a person who's religious, unless they've had the loss of a child, whatever it is. You made a very important point, which is that um, yeah, there's a procession, there's a progress now, uh, a process which where at one time used to say you know don't sweep in the night, you know don't do this on a Friday, don't do that on Tuesday, don't do this you know early morning, don't there are certain beliefs and now we've questioned them scientifically and they said the reason they said don't sweep at night was because it was only flame that you know candlelight that we lived by for thousands you know hundreds of thousands of years and if you drop any gold any money anything valuable on the floor and you sweep at night then it's going to be gone you lose your wealth so wait until daylight Uh, don't do this during menses you know it was scientifically founded it was to make, give rest to, to at least at that one time we'll give them uh, whatever. Uh, the whole thing I think for me is this.
3: Returning to the concept of religion and spirituality. Sir, I think whether it is religion or spirituality, the common feature that appears is belief in something higher and powerful than ourselves. It appears looking from outside, People inclined with spirituality or religion in face of adversity may be soothed by their beliefs and in feeling that the higher being does some greater good for them in the end. A person who doesn't have such beliefs may be more uncertain and anxious of his future. How do you think of this? Is any such belief concept explored in treating mental illnesses? Definitely, yeah
1: many people who are atheists will always say that religion is a delusion because what's the basis of you know you have if you okay suppose i say to you um i have uh in my i live in this in this building i live my grandfather had his ancestral home downstairs his name was krishna shastri this is true okay he was the general secretary for the legislative assembly uh and i tell you that um to, from tomorrow, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to the. I'm not going to see any patients. I'm not going to do anything. This is a why. So because I realize, I believe that under the, the cellar floor, which is what, that dirt that my ancestors walked on, there is a big rock with diamonds in it. It's solid gold, about maybe 100 kilos of gold with diamonds emeralds rubies everything it's there underneath that so i'm going to relax so why don't you want to work that's because my daughter's marriage, my my parents are now 86 and 80 i'll when i need to i'll take a small piece of that rock i'll go and sell it what would you say to me i believe and you'll say sir how can you believe in this you don't you know you'll say did you ever see this is there any mention of it in your grandfather's will I said, no, no, but when I think of it, it makes me feel, it's a soothing feeling that I don't have to work every month, all this stuff, you know, patience and all this stuff, ah, enough. Whenever I think of that, it makes me feel good. I feel at peace. It is there. I may never need it in my lifetime, but if my, my daughter to get married, my grandchildren, it's there. What's the difference? It's something greater than me. So the whole thing is this. what, From what I understand, what atheists say is that don't make something greater than you. The minute you have something greater than you, if you commit a mistake, if you rape someone, you hurt someone, you look to that something greater than you to forgive you. And now you're fine, next day morning you go on. Take a dip in the Ganga, you get go to confession if you're a Catholic, do something, but if you're an atheist, You won't make the mistake in the first place. The the reason for being good is not a religious one. The reason for being good is because of those mirror neurons. It's because you don't want others to suffer. That is the basic basis of uh, of, uh, atheism. It's based on scientific truth. What's the base of science? Prove me wrong. You talk to any scientist and you say, Sir, I've read all your books. I think you're wrong about one particular research that is it. will say, Thank you so much. I like to be proven wrong. That's how we go forward in science. I come up with a hypothesis, yeah. I have to realize, you know, valid everything. I want to be proven wrong, then I can go forward. In religion, it's being proven correct all the time. So, where do we grow as human beings? Our, you know, uh, the, the gray matter in our brain, the, the neocortex has gotten so big. But yet, the basis of religion seems to be fear. There are very few miras or arjuns or anybody else, it's fear for the rest of everybody else. If I don't believe, what will happen? It makes me feel good. So, you can smoke a little bit, drink a little bit. It will make you feel much better. The point is that as long as you really go into the depths of it, really acknowledge why you're doing it, not you. If you say, I need something to soothe me. I need something to make me feel better because I'm not able to do it myself. I wrote my neat, uh, PG neat and I didn't do well. So I believe that God has bigger plans for me. Not because I didn't study at all. I was partying with my friends. God has greater plans. Which idea will give you more peace? But an atheist doesn't have that luxury. An atheist will say, I have to believe it's because I didn't do my work. My duty, my dharma, swadharma. I didn't do it, do it. So therefore I have to face the consequences. It's about cause and effect. The atheist, it's all science. So this is this is we have been given a very powerful brain that's evolved over time. But yet we're still attracted to things which which indicate a lower form of life. When our ancestors were prime, I'll say this is the last thing very quickly. When they were still Neanderthals, Homo erectus, when there was lightning, they used to say the god of lightning. Now we call him Indra, okay? There's a god of the mountains, there's a god of this, everything was a god, okay? It's called anthropomorphism. Everything is a divine, you attach a, a human face to everything. We are pattern-seeking creatures. Many people come into my office and say, sir, can you read my palm? I said, yeah, I can read your palm, yeah. I said, you're going to live a very long life, no health problems, or anything like that, but you'll have to quit cigarettes. I don't see anything in their palms. So my point is find a reason for what you do, especially something that's powerful. Religion, try to put it aside, not you in general to all the listeners. Try to put religion aside and try to take on spirituality or philosophy.
2: So you've seen so many people with diverse cultures and from different walks of life, like bankers, engineers, medical professionals, and teachers. I would like to ask you, what is a common question that you face from them on a regular basis? There's a
1: question always you would say, sir, how to have a, a, a work-life balance? I said, you can't have a work-life balance. One is work, one is life. The minute you try to balance the two, you're you are, uh, essentially you are saying that... Um, My work is my work, and my life is my life. This balance, I'm trying to to segregate, I'm trying to separate the two and give a balance to them. If you talk to, let's say, um, a surgeon, as some of you will be, you talk to a priest, you talk to a philosopher, a writer, an artist, I say, how do you have work-life balance? My work is my life, and my life is my work. If 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 the only time we need a work-life balance is if we don't like our work or the way we're working. I'm a very good example of this. I'll expose myself about this. Uh, I'm a workaholic. Normally in India, people, not in my profession, but in mental health profession, they do a few hours per day. I tend to do up to 12, 13, 14 hours per day. Because I love talking to people, uh, understanding what they're going through. My patients call me, Anna, "papa," Dad, Pops, you know, and when they leave, they give uh, me a little fees we sometimes they said they can't afford it or forget about it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a part of my life. I can never imagine saying, okay, I have to balance that with my life. Let's now
3: talk a little bit about research in psychiatry. Though there was improvement in understanding of brain, it appears there is no big innovation in drugs treating mental illnesses. Like the SSRIs were first invented in 1970s and are still being used without any major transformation. Sir, do you think the research in neuropharmacology kind of plateaued or is it something about brain? How do you think of it?
1: I think one part is this that um, the in order how how do you get a drug into the market? You have to do clinical trials, right? Let's say that for example, I'm trying to do a clinical trial okay with uh, this pandemic, okay? I'm trying to find a a vaccine for uh, uh, COVID 19. I'll have a lot of uh, people who will volunteer just because. Despite the side effects, whatever it is, they have be willing to try, you know, because of because the positive effects, okay? The positive outweigh the negative. Now, suppose you are depressed, okay? I take uh, 100 depressed people and 50 of them I'm going to give a placebo. The other 50 I'm going to give them the actual antidepressant. What if one of the 50 who gets the placebo, one of the, what if they commit suicide? It's very difficult to look. Controlled clinical trials with people who have psychological illnesses. Okay, I don't want. I don't like calling it illnesses. I like calling it uh, emotional disorders. Okay, uh, so it's very difficult. It's a very dangerous thing. The, the reason you all know this thing, right? You all must wonder why is it that people who have psychological why is there such a stigma about mental illness? Right? Only recently I realized, my cousin was the uh, superintendent of uh, Erdogan Dasaki at the hospital and when I arrived in India, I went to see him because like, you know, I wanted a job, he, I went to this place, I went to Asha I, think. I said, you've got a four page resume, you're a bit uh, overqualified, what are you going to do? I said, I just want to help people, you don't have to pay me, I just I need to be busy. So nobody even my cousin, I, I noticed the people there, he's a very compassionate, Dr. Ranan. he's retired now, he's a very compassionate person. I noticed that the way they were treating the patients is as if it's a jail. It's not about Elegant, not about IMH. For a long time, whenever you had a psychiatric illness, you were not given treatment through Ayurveda and all these things, you were essentially treated you know, you are condemned, you are possessed, you are tortured. You are taken out of the village, you are put in a place separate from your family. Essentially, you are punished. You are treated the way that you treat someone who is a, a, a criminal today. This happened for the last 1500 years. So now, that is ingrained in people's psyche, right? So now, when you say you want to see a psychiatrist, say, Hey, Babu, no, 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 I don't want to see that. I don't want to see a psychiatrist. He is going to admit me, he is going to torture me. Electroshock therapy, electroconvulsive shock therapy, this, that, you know, electroconvulsive shock therapy, don't feel any pain. You know, so you asked me about the recent, uh, this is the main reason why we have a stigma. Now, about uh, new. Techniques, the only new technique we have now, ketamine, you all have heard of, right? Drug use is called Special case. They found special uses for uh, ketamine in reducing depression for uh, patients who are suffering from major depression and suicidal disorders. They have in Stanford University, correct, they have a new cranio-magnetic therapy. There is a ring that is placed on the head and magnetic therapy, which is they found that 90% of depressive patients are getting relief. So, once they prove that that is successful, some company will take it over and uh, have to charge a lot for it. Then, see the thing is this, treating mental illness is actually not that difficult. The reason is this, if you are using just if you don't mind, okay, suppose you went through a breakup or something happened academically or your family even. you are really in pain, okay, so you come to me and I say, hmm, okay, what's the problem, huh, okay, you are feeling depressed, uh, major depressive disorder without psychotic features, okay, uh, next draw 10 milligrams, That's, that's, that's right, okay, how is your sleep, sir, I'm not sleeping at all, okay, Clonazepam, 0.25, Zappies, 0.425, 30 days, not tender, 30 days, you are going to be addicted to the Zappies. I am saying this with respect to the psychiatrist, a lot of them are friends, but this is the approach that we say. When you go to a psychiatrist, you are not going to get therapy. You are going there with the for Zappies, for Clonazepam, for Eskital all these things. They are doing their duty. Okay? They are hoping that you know that, unless you have schizophrenia, early onset Alzheimer's disease, dementia or something else, going to a second is a very uh, troubling uh, idea. If you have a problem, you have to talk to people about it, you have to find the root. If you go to the root of something, you will find where it started. Absolute root. I don't mean, okay, if I'm feeling anxious, if you're feeling anxious, where did this anxiety start? How old was I? Okay, my father used to yell. My mother used to yell. You go to the root of something and and start experiencing anxiety. And when you experience anxiety, tell yourself, this is not killing me. I am willing to experience this. I want anxiety. Come, come, I want it. It will not come. I want to feel depressed. Where are you come? Essentially, what what I'm trying to say is, the ketamine has come out. A few things have come out. Drug companies do not put much effort into uh, getting new medications for psychiatric patients for one simple reason. A psychiatrist will not prescribe a new drug for a patient because they Patient will reject it. If you are taking escitalopram or Nexito or what Zapi is, it's anti-anxiety or anti-anxiety, they want to take that. They are comfortable with that. They are addicted to it. What they need is therapy.
0: They need interaction, human interaction. Sir, so like as uh, since we are discussing about research, like. There's one more thing which I would like to ask you because uh, you have been practicing as a psychologist in the United States for almost thirty years, and now you have shifted your practice to India. What, uh, like many of these questionnaires for depression, for anxiety, are validated based on the Caucasian population, on the Western civilization, and you know, and how the and how the and how the environment of the you know the Western civilization is. So, since there is a lack of such questionnaires, we try to apply the same questionnaire in our country too. So, what difficulties like how relevant are those questionnaires to our country when especially when we're dealing with the rural population of our country? And you know, are we either underestimating or overestimating based on those those questionnaires, you know, due to the genetic, due to the environmental and the cultural differences? How different are those uh, how different are the implications of those questionnaires on us?
1: Suppose you have a toothache, okay, and we uh, say what's the difference in the toothache that Americans feel and the toothache in what Indians feel? Pain is pain. Okay, we have to understand one thing: what is pain? Pain is part. It's two things. It's, it's not just one. Psychiatric pain, emotional pain made of two things, one is it's functional, okay? In emotional distress, what you are looking at is not structure, but function. How functional is a person? How are they functioning? See, we're talking, you asked about cultural differences, right, Ankit, you asked about cultural differences. I'm saying that the point is not about just testing. We've already gone beyond testing we have Indian tests for Indian people. In certain areas, yes, we're still using what's called thematic apperception perception tests, Rorschach, all these things. If a clinician if a clinician can't sit with a patient, suppose you come to me, and, not you, but somebody like you, comes to me and say, I'm, I want to die, I'm feeling depressed, I'll say, okay, I will give you a test for depression, let's check first. How does that sound to you? that's ridiculous right that's what we're doing now if you come to me and saying i am very anxious i'm very uncomfortable in social situations instead of okay let's talk about it i'll say okay i'll give you a test for social anxiety because that test costs 5000 rupees the depression test costs 5000 rupees so we have to we have to grow beyond that that's the reason we are Depending so much on testing in India. I'm very much against it. I think it's a. I think it's a fraud. Okay, in certain situations, like a thirty-eight-year-old woman, she is not able to maintain her marriage because basic issues she is not understanding. Husband says, uh, "Put the water on the stove, please. Can I have coffee?" And she doesn't understand it. There's a new, there's some neurological damage. There, we can do some testing. Find out which part of the brain is it, uh, is it MR, is it mental retardation, borderline intellectual function. That we can find out. But if a person is suffering, you don't have to give him a test to. These days, psychologists, I'm I'm not a psychologist. I'm a psychopathologist. Okay? It's a physician with a, it's a doctor with a PhD who wants to do both therapy and medication. So my point is this, that we need more of this field in India. When I arrived here and I brought my resume to I was the only one, I think it was only one other person. You're, you're talking about bias in testing. There is bias in testing, but we have tried to, in India we have now created enough testing where there's no more bias. It's not there. If it was there, then, I mean, you know, IQ to personality test, everything, we have created testing just for Indian population. But again, here is the problem. Even in Indian population, if you go from here to North, Northeast, there'll be a different story. If I show you a picture and say, tell me a story here, Northeast people will you a different story from people in Kerala. So We are so diverse, so wonderfully diverse that each state, each region may have to develop their own. Okay? So we need what's a, it's called a universal projective and this type of test. But apart from testing doctors, I mean psychologists or psychopaths, they are not but psychiatrists need to depend on their gut instinct. Work on your gut instinct, ask the patient questions. There, there's no bias. If you are asking just that patient about what they what they are going through, there's no bias. I don't know if any of you are going to are even thinking about going into psychiatry. Please think about it. If you are any of you are thinking of going into psychiatry, go into it, but give it your hundred percent, you will do better than any orthopedic surgeon, neurosurgeon, anybody, because you went into it by choice. It's your profession, especially if you have been hurt in life. Okay, if you felt pain. Okay, I don't know if I answered your question, but.
0: Yes, sir. You did. It's great to know that we have scales for our country too. We and do.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. For every, for every test, we have a we have a scale for. We are not using IQ tests that are made in America. We are not using using projective tests that are made in America. We are not using personality tests. That's very important that are made in America. Well,
0: you know, we have our own. And we also take note of the caution that you made that we should not use them. You know, we should use them judiciously.
1: Yes. Yes.